0: We look at medical bills, we review these medical bills for what we refer to as non-compliant charges. So those are charges that legally, based on the Code of Federal Regulations, as well as a host of other sources of rules and guidance, cannot be charged on a bill. We provide a service that has an immediate, positive impact on the client. We're finding overpayments, we're saving our clients significant money, on their medical spends.
1: Welcome to the Solving Healthcare podcast, where we interview innovative companies that seek to positively disrupt the healthcare industry. I'm talking with Jim Napoli, the president of MedLiminal. Uh, Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey, Jim, typically what we do is uh, I get a bio and I read it I want to take a a different approach with you just because I've heard you give an overview of how you got from your prior life and prior history to Medliminal. So would you mind just giving an overview of your start and how you got from what you did to Medliminal and then also why you guys established the company?
0: Sure. So prior to taking on the uh, CEO role at Medliminal, I was practicing attorney in big law, so I was a partner at Cifars. actually had been outside counsel for Medliminal's predecessor company, and I focused for about 20, 21 years on employee benefits with a particular interest in group health plans, employer-sponsored group health plans, and litigation in the area. I started to really gain a specialty in that area, handling some very large retiree medical, primarily litigations. These were billion-dollar-plus matters. Wrote a book on healthcare reform when it was first passed that became a bestseller within the employee benefits world, which... You know, that means maybe we sold 50 copies or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was nonetheless, you know, viewed as something that was a great resource for employers and had the opportunity to file a few briefs with the U.S. Supreme Court um, on the Affordable Care Act, as well as back, gosh, back in 2005, I was hired as an associate at the time to handle a Supreme Court filing that dealt with a plan's right to recover uh, overpayments of all things. So as part of my um, legal practice, uh, one of the types of cases that I handled was just that where a plan overpays for a procedure or you know whether it's a retirement plan that overpays, uh, miscalculates the retirement, or a health plan that overpays on a claim. The question was, how does the plan get that, that uh, money back? And one of my first cases which it's really weird how things work in life sometimes. So most of the employees at Medliminal right now, where we process a lot of the claims, is in a small town, Roanoke, Virginia. Mm -hmm. My first major case, ERISA litigation, actually came out of Roanoke, Virginia. Now, I was in Cleveland, Ohio at the time, which is where I was born and raised. Working with a big firm in Cleveland and it's just really odd and my wife and I sometimes, you know, laugh about it that my first big case was in Roanoke, Virginia and then I was hired to be the CEO of a company in Roanoke, Virginia that actually provides the type of service I was looking for in the litigation. So the litigation had to do with claims that were being paid by a group health plan that really shouldn't have been paid by the group health plan because they were non-compliant, the charges that were being charged to the plan. But at that time, there really wasn't any known, at least to the legal world, any known entity that could really look at a claim and determine whether the charge on the particular claim was compliant or not. It was just more of a feeling that as an attorney that this just doesn't seem right. And we were able to eventually reach a settlement, but it took me going through boxes of documents as an attorney with my legal staff to figure it out. So fast forward to today, what we do at Medliminal is what I was looking for, gosh, 20 some years ago now, and that is, we look at medical bills, we review these medical bills for what we refer to as non-compliant charges. So those are charges that legally, based on the Code of Federal Regulations as well as a host of other sources of rules and guidance, cannot be charged on a bill. What really intrigued me about Medliminal and taking on the CEO role here was that as an attorney it's very difficult to get a clean resolution, um, especially in litigation, and it, and it takes a lot of time. Um, at the end of litigation, anybody who's gone through litigation, even when you win, you feel like you've lost. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a very difficult, tough um, process to go through. So what intrigued me about Medliminal and the, and the service we provide is we provide a service that has an immediate positive impact on the client. So it's immediate in that we look at the bill, we review it, it takes us less than three business days, we'll turn around a bill. And it's uh, positive in that we're finding overpayments, we're saving our clients money, and, um, and it's significant money um, on their medical spend. So it really intrigued me in that manner.
1: So Jim, give us a context of the size of the problem or in in some ways just say, well, first of all, do do you know nationally the size of the problem, what you're trying to solve?
0: Oh yeah, this is, you know, you you look at healthcare, it is um, a a trillion dollar industry and we can say that nationwide, various studies have shown that over 90% of medical bills have some type of error on them, meaning that the person or people, uh, entities that are paying that bill are being overcharged. Now, I'm not going to say that this is all intentional and there's a vast conspiracy um, by the hospitals and doctors to overcharge people. You're you're not saying there's... You're not
1: saying there's not either, right?
0: Well, I'm not necessarily saying there's not either, but <laughs> I, but I, what I can do if I'm giving the you know benefit of the doubt is that there are antiquated systems out there, billing systems that aren't keeping up with the changes in the rules, and um, and then there's also some very progressive-minded billers out there in terms of uh, how they bill. And, and, you're and uh, about, it's a little bit of a cat and mouse.
1: You're talking about some of the yeah. programs that you see about how to how to properly upcode and upcharge the those type of programs. Are you, are you talking
0: <clears throat> about? exactly? That's exactly what I'm referring to, and it's it's a bit of a cat and mouse game. And you know, again, it's it's one of those where we all know people. We have people, friends, family members in our in our lives that are constantly pushing the envelope. It's not that they have technically breached a rule, but they're constantly pushing the envelope. And I think there are certain entities out there that for sure that's what they're doing is they're pushing the envelope. And it's up to entities like Medliminal to keep those facilities in check and make sure that they aren't overstepping and that when they do overstep, that our client doesn't pay for that.
1: So give me a context for a typical client, if it's a a percentage that's easier to do, when they engage you, what do you, what do you typically see as a savings opportunity and savings percentage?
0: Um, You know, it's, it's going to vary a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I would, I'm always comfortable saying that it's going to be um, at least a 10% um, uh, save on your spend. And let me do the math. It's 10% of, roughly about 65 percent of the claims
1: so six and a half percent
0: yeah so about six and a half percent we okay. we see about 65 percent of the claims that's so about six and a half now that being said it can be and it has been double that it just depends on what type of filters the payer already has in place
1: yeah and i, I wanted to start out with that just because um your process is fairly unique and I'll, i also just want to confirm what i know is that you can work with any self-funded plan and the benefit is that you don't have to change the plan design at all or do any type of plan amendment. Is that correct?
0: That's correct.
1: And so uh, we talk about the medical bill compliance and medical medical bill plan review. Uh, How is what you do different than what a traditional carrier would do?
0: Okay, so there's two lines of differences, if you will. Um, The first is the difference between a a claims review versus a claims audit. And there is legal significance to this difference, um, but let me explain the difference first. So a claims audit, there are a few different types of claims audit, but typically when you're looking at a audit of a group health plan, what you're looking for is you're making sure that the plan is being administered to the plan terms, and then at times you'll also look at the uh, medical records to make sure that the claims are being paid are medically necessary, so that medical necessity is, is being met. And in audit, by definition, what you're doing is you're taking a subset of all of the claims that are paid by the company or by the plan, and you are then extrapolating based on your findings. So, if you were to find in a subset that there was a six percent overpayment, or that there was a really in a you're not in a claims audit. Really, what you're looking and saying is, well, six percent of the time we missed a plan design element. So, let's now look at all of the claims. Um, we would say that. With respect to all the claims, six percent of the time, we've missed this design element, and that's how you kind of um, hone in on. Okay, well, what is that? What constitutes that six percent? What is the design element? And then you go in and you and you fix the administration of the plan. That is not what we're doing. What we're doing is we're looking at the claim itself, and we're looking at conceptually. We can look at all claims, most employers will say, well, let's look at the claims that are going to get us the biggest bang for the buck in terms of the time uh, spent on it. And so they'll say, let's look at claims $40,000 or greater that are facility claims, so hospital claims. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we look at the itemized statement as well as the UBO 4, which is the summary statement that is filed with the third party administrator for payment. And we run those through our system. We have a RPA, a Robotic Process Automated System, known as HCAT, Healthcare Compliance Automated Technology. HCAT looks at those forms. We don't need medical records. Um, and it determines which charges on that particular bill are non-compliant, meaning they, again, they, they violate some rule of billing and we, and we remove that uh, from the bill.
1: So when you talk about a plan review, uh, when you say it's non-compliant, can you elaborate a little bit more? Because I, I think what you mean is with regard to the legality of a submission. But then also, are, are you looking at whether or not it was an appropriate bill based on the diagnosis?
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a great question. Uh, the, the baseline is we... When we put together um, HCAT, it's a rules-based system, but it's what I really refer to it as a smart rules-based system. So there are certain rules-based systems where you just merely have the rule. It's A plus B equals C. Mm -hmm. HCAT will say A plus B equals C, but possibly D, possibly E, and possibly F, depending on the fact pattern. So what HCAT is able to do is very similar to when you go to an attorney. So back in the day when I was practicing, my clients didn't come to me asking for, you know, what is the rule? Um, What they would say is, what is the rule and how does it impact our business based on the following set of circumstances? And then what if we changed those circumstances to this? How would the rule apply? In um, that instance, that's what HCAT is able to do is do what I as an attorney would have done um, at the time. And that is apply the rule to various factual scenarios and within those factual nuances, make a determination as to how the rule applies.
1: So so give us an example of something that you guys would catch that would would maybe bypassed by uh, the traditional insurance world.
0: Well, I, I think it's one of those where, um, when you talk about general categories, mm-hmm. um, all filters are going to be able to pick up on general categories. It's some of the the little nuances, like it's understanding. For example, um, we had one where there was a plate that was a- affixed to, I believe it was the individual's femur, and we happen to know through our, we have. Um, Uh, nurses who have years of experience in the field, in the hospitals, um, who actually look at these claims um, after HCAT has reviewed them and have actually also helped us in developing HCAT. So we happen to know that for this particular type of surgery, it required three screws to affix the plate to the individual's femur. The hospital was charging for eight. What we were able to do and, and how HCAT had been coded is that if it saw that type of surgery, that type of plate, that it would permit four screws, because usually you give one extra just in case one of the three that are, are necessary is, you know, maybe there's a defect or they drop it or something, but you certainly wouldn't give eight. And when the screws were being charged at $2,500 a screw, by taking four of those off, um, we save the client $10,000. So it's these little nuances where we're taking um, our, um, and, and this is why I refer to it as a smart rules-based system, is we're taking our nurses, our legal background, and we're making interpretations of various um, factual scenarios, and, and these are scenarios that the origins of Medliminal was really w- myself and my partners had purchased, my partners had purchased the assets of, of another company where, and the, the major asset was data. And the data of those, co- that company then permitted us to build an HCAT system that has years and years, over 20 years worth of data, and as well as the years and years of experience with the uh, nurses at MedLiminal to really put together this smart rules-based system. So we have tens yeah, so of that, thousands of- Yeah, data. that was
1: one of my questions, is that you guys are a startup, right?
0: Yes, we okay. uh, MedLiminal has been at it for two and a half years. Yeah, but the question.
1: Yeah, when you're talking about a very complicated, complex process, and it sounds like you've built a a medical intelligence arm that will not just review what traditional carriers would catch, but rather one, is it an appropriate an appropriate submission based on the diagnosis? But then also just the amount of intelligence that has to go through all of those algorithms would take years to accumulate. Is that correct?
0: That's right. And it all goes back to something that my father taught me years ago. He was a principal at Towers, now Willis-Watson Towers. He is both an actuary as well as a computer programmer. Oh, and, wow. I, I mean, it's a double is, whammy. Yeah, exactly. And you can imagine the uh, conversations we had at the dinner table, most of which I fell asleep to. And,
1: yeah. Did anybody make eye contact?
0: Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was. Yeah, it was. It was quite the the upbringing uh, having the actuary as the head of the family. But actually, it was it was really good in that you know we got to see things through his eyes. Um, me in particular, I spent a lot of time with him. I would go to his office, um, his office at home. We got to see the first iteration of a modem which was a big briefcase that had you opened it up and there were two suction cups that you put the old school phone handle into the suction cups. And this was your state of the art modem. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to see the first, yeah, the, the first IBM um, desktop. And I remember when he brought that home, he said, listen, guys, I have three brothers. So he sat us all down and he said, this is the future It's not here yet, but this type of computer is going to replace, or at least maybe not fully replace, but will give businesses the opportunity, it's the great equalizer, to do what only large companies with large mainframe systems can do in terms of calculating and running through data. So I always had that in my mind, and my father had always said, leverage off of technology. You know, if you if you leverage, and when I started in big law, he said, as a matter of fact, what where big law has it wrong is they're leveraging off of people. And there's only so many people you can, you know, uh, manage properly and so many hours in a day that you can expect a person to work. The computer, however, you can have it running 24 seven, and it doesn't take six days off, it doesn't talk back, it does its job so that's actually with my law practice i started automating very early on i would automate my pleadings for example um for litigation it's typically it's the same complaint over and over in the same types of cases little factual differences so i would automate all that automate plan document production automate summary plan description uh production so First thing I did when I got to um, MedLiminal is say we have to automate the system. There's only so many nurses out there and we have a nursing shortage right now as a nation. So if you have a system that's built on nurses reviewing the various documents, you know, at some point you're going to hit critical mass and you won't be able to do anything more. But if you have a system that has the intelligence and looks at the issue the same way that your nurses do, and you have multiple nurses from different areas of expertise putting their knowledge into this system, now you really have something. So when when we first started with HCAT, our uh, models showed that we would need about eight nurses for every 400 new claims we reviewed. We're now to the point where we need less than one nurse for every 2,000 claims that we review. <clears throat> is
1: that because of the reliability of the algorithm or what's caused that efficiency?
0: Yes, it's the reliability. It was just going through and making some changes in, in the way that HCAT learns, mm-hmm. getting, building in some machine learning. Our next step is to build or connect a true AI, artificial intelligence engine, to hcat so what we're doing there is right now we're developing analytics we're developing we're developing trend lines we're developing a lot of information for our clients beyond just you're being charged too much so think of all the data that hcat is parsing through and all of the new data it's creating in terms of trend lines where we can say not only these are the top 10 hospitals that overcharge in this particular state or this particular region. But we can also say things like, and we've also noticed that there's a cluster of a particular type of ailment in that region as well. Hmm. Because of all the claims that we've received, we're seeing whatever it happens to be heart disease is a huge problem in this particular area. Now when you can do that on a global, but also do that on a, the level of an employer, that helps the employer in terms of their wellness programs. It also helps them with OSHA and with compliance as well, well as work, Workman's Comp, and ways to help their employees avoid that type of ailment. So it's, it's very powerful. So what we're doing that now through HCAT, the IA engine will be able to take the, the um, analysis to the next level. And, And it's basically artificial intelligence, at least in this particular model, is really nothing more than saying it's really, really good automation. And it's really efficient way of parsing through the information and realizing connections between the data and finding and developing trend lines, something that humans do every day. That's what consultants do. That's what uh, brokers will do. They're right. Looking through the data to, to design a plan. That's what we'll be doing in a very big way um, as we move HCAT forward.
1: Walk us through. I mean, for a typical employer, I understand you have a pre pay medical review and a post pay medical review. Distinguish the difference, and then ha- what most employers will contract you for.
0: Sure. So a prepay review is basically um, what we're doing is we're looking at the bill before it's actually paid, and then we're turning those around within three business days so that the payor can then pay intelligently.
1: And that, um, that's a that's a pretty labor intensive business, is it not?
0: It is, but we leverage off of the HCAT system. So it's something that that's going back to what my father told me when I was a a, a kid. The desktop is the great equalizer and having the systems, um, you know, uh, permits us to evaluate a claim within seconds. And then what we do is we have our nurses look at the report that HCAT produces just as a second set of eyes, if you will.
1: It's time intensive as well as as what I meant, meaning that you have a certain amount of time to get back to the hospital when it's prepay.
0: Yes, there's the prompt payment statute. So each state has a prompt payment statute. It's usually 30 days. Sometimes it's quicker, but it's typically a 30-day from the date you receive a bill. The payer has to then pay the, the hospital and there are times where we might not receive the bill from our client until the 15th day. You know, so now, now it really has to, or there are times actually where we get expedited where they've, for whatever reason, it's been at, at the client for quite some time and they need it turned in a day. So yes, the prepay is very time sensitive, which is why we guarantee no greater than three day, three business day turnaround.
1: On the post-pay side, you're dealing with claims that have already happened. So the uh, health plan or the TPAs, they've already gone through the process of sorting through the billed amount, uh, working through prior authorization. They've determined an allowable amount, deducted the member share, and then effectively already made payment to the hospital. And so for me, that's a great barometer of effectiveness for you because you're you're, you're already saying, okay. This is what your administrator is able to do. Now allow us to show our genius through the HCAP process. That's a little bit different, but but I would imagine based on what I know of carriers, that's is that the predominant amount of work that you do is on the postpay side.
0: Yes, when when we're working directly through the employer, it's almost always postpay.
1: Why, uh, why is that?
0: Well, it's it's um, it, it's a couple things. In order to do a prepay when you're contracting to the employer, you have to have the buy-in from both the carrier, the network provider, as well as the third-party administrator. Mm -hmm. So you have to get those entities on the same page with you as the employer, and they typically will um, resist. They will say things like, we already have our screens in place. You know, don't worry about it. We do what Medliminal does where well, we have our own Medliminal that provides the service. So it, it just, there's a, a barrier to entry, if you will, um, that can be overcome, but it can only be overcome if the employer really is not afraid to push back and push back hard on the network provider and or the um, TPA. And most employers, in my experience, are reluctant to push back hard because the last thing they want is disruption in the provision of the benefit to their employees. Mm -hmm. So it goes to something, another saying that my father taught me very early on was, he who controls the data controls the client. So at that point in the relationship, the TPA and the network provider control the data. So they control the client. They don't want a liminal or another third party to have access to the data because then they lose a lo- uh, level of control. Um, so it's a uh, you know bit of a dance. And so you know what we will say is that's fine. Um, we will review them after they've been paid, um, and we'll show our value in that way. So in a recent pilot program that we had with a uh, that we're in. With a large national network provider, we have found and negotiated to a 16% savings for the employers that were looking at their claims after they've already been adjudicated and screened and 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 paid. Mm-hmm. Um, we are still finding them 16% uh, savings on average, and some some claims it's you know much higher than that. But you know we'll look back as far as two years and recover. And, and again, that's, as you said, that kind of gives us a little bit of the ability to boast that, listen, if you've already screened these, we should not be finding 16%. That's a that's a large amount, even on a first screening, let alone, right. you know, being the second or third in line.
1: It's kind of perverse as well, if you think about it, in that on the prepay side, you're able to demonstrate significant savings and, and then you're, but you can truly demonstrate your value post-pay, because you can say, look, you've already been at bat and you either struck out or you you got on first base, but you're able to deliver a home run using their data and their processes against yours to show the value you can produce.
0: That's right. Yeah. It's kind of, I'd say it's akin to the filter that you might buy for your faucet. So the water that we receive from our tap, is already, has already been filtered and cleaned to a certain degree. Right. But if you really want that pure drinking water, you're going to put an additional filter on it. And that's kind of what Liminal is in the post-pay instances with that additional filter.
1: Now, and the cool thing about it is with how you guys make money, you don't charge a PEPM or anything like that. How do you make money for any particular customer?
0: So, so what we do is we charge a percent of the savings. So if we don't produce the savings for the client, you know, we don't get paid. I, I can honestly say we've never not been paid. So we're always finding some level of savings for the client. And and the other thing, and and I think this is important to to stress too is one of the things that was very important to me as the CEO of this company was to make sure that our findings really stuck, that it wasn't, we weren't trying to put into place what I would call aspirational rules or aspirational findings, where you would say as an advocate, you know, this this rule isn't fair. It really should be built this way. So I'm going to create an edit that would say it should be built this way. When the rule clearly says it shouldn't, that's something for advocacy. That's something to go talk to CMS about, you know, changing their rule to make it fairer. That's not something for the type of service provider we are, yeah, which yeah. is why. Yes.
1: What what I think you're saying is that in in the context of a post payer prepay review, you're using data, you're using laws, you're using anything factual that you can go back to the hospital and say, hey. Why did you bill it this way, as opposed to saying, "Hey, we hope just by throwing you know what on the wall that we can get some type of some type of uh, concession from the hospital is Is that a fair way to to categorize what you just said
0: that's That's exactly right. Why is that important
1: in the, your relationship with a payer and your reputation <laughs> with a customer?
0: Well, I, I, it's a great question. And and it's it's very important because number one is it gives us credibility with both the payer and the facility. Right. Um, if you're speaking to a facility and you're negotiating and the facility can can knock down 20% of your findings just purely on the basis that they're speculative or they're not grounded in any rule or any commercial contract, it's just again, you wish, you hope for that result, then you've lost credibility for the remaining 80% of your findings and it will be very difficult to get a settlement with the facility on your findings. On the other hand, if you're viewed by the facility as an entity that is being conservative in the sense that we're only looking at the rules and the contracts and, and other things that apply to the billing, and there are no straw men or or, or stocking horse findings out there, then the facility is going to take you much more serious, and they're going to be much more apt to negotiate to settlement with you. And I can tell you, based on our national statistics, we negotiate and receive and are c- confirmed 99.9% of our findings. So less than one percent of the time do we overturn ourselves or does a third party overturn our findings?
1: That's a sign mean, in but that's essentially you going to the hospital and saying, Hey, we have these findings and th- there's an either an arbitration process or a review process where the hospital has their team saying we either agree or disagree with this. Um, and what you're saying is that during that process, 99.9% of your, findings stick?
0: Yes, exactly. And that means that the hospital agrees with the findings. Hmm. And when we speak to the hospital about our findings, we don't go in there aggressively. We don't try to make it a, you know, us versus them. It's more of a, here are our findings, here's our methodology. And to a certain degree, you can learn from these findings, because if CMS were to come in and audit you, you would have you would have these very same issues, and you could lose you know certain uh, federal funding, um, or be kicked out of the the Medicare program altogether. It's something where we really try to take a non adversarial approach. I think that's part of it too, and it's worked well for us.
1: It sounds like it's more of the actuarial training you got from your father versus the. Stand up and shout. Train you might have had as an attorney.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so in terms of the post payment process, you mentioned cooperative before, but you, you can work with any plan. Can you walk through the the various ways that you you can work with a client, either with a cooperative TPA or not cooperative TPA?
0: Sure. So, so the key pieces of data, or where we call the data from, are the UBO4 form, which is the summary bill that the third-party administrator receives, and the itemized statement, or the itemized bill, which is what the facility produces. So think of these as when you go to a restaurant and you receive two different bills. The one that you sign is the summary, Um, bill that says, you know, you owe $65 and there's a 20% tip and there's taxes and you sign that. The one behind that bill shows every item that you ordered um, so that you can check it and make sure. And and there are times where you'll say, well, wait, we didn't order this salad. You know, where did this come from? And they'll take it off, off your bill. So that is very much the way the UBO4 and the itemized statement work. So what we do is, if we have a cooperative TPA, they will forward us the UBO-4 as well as the itemized statement, and we'll take it from there. We'll upload them into our HCAT system and run it through the process. If we have a non-cooperative TPA, we will go out and get the UBO-4 and the itemized bill from the facilities uh, directly, and then we will again upload those into the HCAT system. HCAT prepares two reports. It rep- prepares an explanation of review (EOR), which is a summary report that goes to the client, and then it produces a itemized report that goes to the actual facility. Once that report is received by the facility, our negotiating team a resolution team will reach out to the facility and negotiate to a settlement on the bill.
1: And then in terms of the settlement, you mentioned you, you make a percentage of savings. I presume that is based off of the check that's actually written and handed back to the employer. But can you talk through how recoveries happen and what process that, that typically goes through?
0: Sure. So, so what will happen is typically the check, we like to see the check in the hands of the third party administrator to actually administer the proceeds of that check. So what we will do is, even if the TPA isn't involved in the marshaling of the UBO4 and the itemized statements, we will nonetheless have the facility send the check to the TPA, TPA knows what we're doing and and has already been contacted and understands they're gonna be receiving checks. Um, But we will have the check sent to the TPA. The TPA will then um, determine, okay, on this contract, um, uh, medliminal is to receive 20% of the savings. They found $100,000 in savings, so uh, 20,000 will go to medliminal. 80,000 stays in the plan to pay future benefits.
1: Okay. So it goes back into plan assets.
0: Correct. Okay.
1: Okay. And so in terms of, of uh, just general reporting and accountability back to your customers, what, what should they expect to receive from you?
0: So they will receive an explanation of review for every, every claim. Again, this is, To the extent they want to receive um, this information, they'll receive an explanation of review. They will also receive the monthly reports as to the findings and the fees. What we do is we prepare a portal for each client, and it's a customized portal. So we'll customize it to the analytics that they would like to see. So in real time, they'll be able to go online and see, for example, how many claims have been filed. Uh, month to date, year to date, week to date. They can look at the amount of savings that's been achieved month to date, year to date, um, week to date, the fees associated um, with that. They can look and see what are the top 10, top five most overcharged medical services within their data. Um, What are the top five most overcharging hospitals? within their data. So it's meant to be a tool to really allow the client to see not only how medliminal is performing, but to receive the analytics on the hospitals. And again, looking, you know, they may want to see what is the most common ailment within the, the data that we have for that employer, and, and then again, follow other types of trend lines.
1: Okay. Thank you. So hey, what, a couple more questions, but in terms of sure. the reimbursement methodology, there is a lot of movement, a lot of momentum with regard to reference based pricing and direct contracting. I presume that your service it uh, is equally profound, regardless of the reimbursement calculation. Is Is that a correct statement?
0: That's correct.
1: And what, why is that?
0: Well, because what we're doing is we're looking to see whether a particular charge should be on the bill or not. Reference-based pricing is a way of negotiating the bill. So reference-based pricing says it, it's very similar to any type of bill negotiation where you might say we want a 20% discount on that bill. Okay. What is reference-based pricing? It's saying we want a discount on the bill as presented, and we're going to tie that, what we're asking for in terms of discount, to a particular reference. We're going to tie it to you know, a multiple of what uh, Medicare would would pay, for example. So, so that doesn't really take anything off the bill. It just reprices what's on the bill.
1: Yeah, so you're saying the propensity to either – the billing challenges that a hospital may have or the opportunities they may have, that's not going to change based on how you calculate and pay the allowable amount. It's more of, you still have to go back to the hospital and challenge in a respectful manner their, their billing practice. Okay. That's Uh, right. And, and you, you, you can uh, work with uh, the workers comp side of the house. Is that correct?
0: Yes. Um, Now there are some, some states where it's there's a menu and, you know, there's a fee associated with each each particular ailment, those, we our findings aren't necessarily as profound because it's pretty much spelled out. If it's a broken arm that needs to be set, here's the amount that's unpermitted. But there are many states that still do not have that type of menu, so it's very similar to the hospital um, review.
1: Okay. All right. Um, so, Jim, anything that uh, you've been wanting to to share that we haven't asked?
0: No, I just I just think the 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 thing that I would like to add to this, and especially from the employer's point of view, is you know, and again, this is I I constantly go back to my father, but he did have a a profound impact on on the way I think about um, the provision of services and employee benefits world is. You know, as an employer, you're looking to create a plan that covers the employee and the employee's dependents um, should they become sick or have some type of physical um, issue. And you ask yourself, well, why Why do you do that as an employer? And it's, it's clear for two reasons. Number one, you don't want the employee to um, remain sick and out of work. And number two, you don't want the employee to be concerned and lose um, time um, uh, being concerned with whether or not they can pay their hospital bills for themselves or their loved ones. And why is the, empo- as the employer is that important? Because you want your employee focused on doing their job. So they've got to be in the office or on the line to do their job, and they, they can't be distracted with worrying about medical bills. And that's, that's part of what this is, is we're taking, um, some of the, uh, the overcharging and the, the, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, the uneasiness with paying a medical bill. And we're, we're reassuring both the employer. And now we actually have an employee facing service that we launched two days ago. The employee that they're paying a true, fair and accurate bill. They're not being overcharged, so they can have a peace of mind that they're paying only what they ought to be paying for.
1: Wow. So how would, it, how would an employee alert you that they need help?
0: So what we have is a, an employee portal, and the employee can upload um, their medical bills, their EOBs and, and whatnot through the portal to us and at that point we are both looking at it in terms of our medical bill compliance service running it through hcat as well as an advocate so here's where we would advocate a little bit beyond um, the medical bill compliance review if necessary and the employee can do that on their phone on their tablet they can take a picture um of of the medical bill they don't have to scan it in or they can scan it in and, and go through their laptop or desktop but we tried to make it very very friendly um when i was speaking about this service conceptually two um two years ago two december's ago my then 21 year old said dad that sounds so cool i i have I, you know i would have no idea what to do with a medical bill But if you want me and other millennials to do it, I have to be able to take a picture of it on my phone and, and, and transact the entire process on my phone. And so that's what we did is we built the system. So the entire transaction can occur on the phone.
1: So what, what, and to use a reference point, a friend of mine just posted something on Facebook about uh, her daughter uh, having to go to the emergency room and having to be transferred to another facility. And you know, as well as I do, you're going to have a bunch of balance billing and a bunch of stuff just coming from everybody that touched her in the hospital that wasn't necessarily contracted. So uh, I guess what I'm hearing you say is that when they start getting the bills from the anesthesiology, the radiology, all of those companies, um, you guys will be their advocate and pushing back and saying, okay, why did you bill for all of this if it was for an accident? They might have billed too much uh, for anesthesiology, whatever the case may be. Is is that a correct statement? Right,
0: that's exactly right. Well, and again, it goes to the employer's goal, providing a benefit that is a true benefit. And if the employee is frustrated and saying, "I don't know what to do with these bills," you know, and and I thought I had coverage, um, the employer has just wasted money, so to speak. So what we want to do is tell the employer listen we have your employees facts. So just have them send us that information and we will sort it out for them um, and you know nine times out of ten if not ten times out of ten we're gonna save them money
1: well that's an amazing service and uh, I look forward to hearing more about it and uh, speaking of that if somebody that that is uh, listening to this wants to get a hold of you what's the best way to do that
0: um, go to madluminal.com and all of our information is there on our various offices and uh, phone numbers and, and addresses.
1: Awesome. Well, Jim, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for helping to shape and change the healthcare industry and best of luck to you and your company. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Solving Healthcare. If you like this episode, please rate it and also provide your comments. If you would like to know how this service or others could fit within your organization, or if you'd like to sign up for future podcasts and news updates, please go to www.solvinghealthcare.net and click on contact. Thank you for listening and have an amazing day.